Welcome to the perfume room. I am currently not wearing anything, um, which I'm now realizing sounds like I just booty called all of you. Obviously talking about perfume, although should I record this podcast naked, let me know. And don't forget to smash that like button. But I'm not wearing anything because I've just had like the ultimate lazy day today. I didn't even know if I was going to be up to film this opening, but I got the booster shot yesterday. If you guys are in New York and you are over 18, we are now all eligible, so definitely go get it. But I got it, was feeling a-okay, and then all of a sudden this morning it just hit me like a ton of bricks and I have been so lethargic and it's a bummer because like I specifically allotted this day, I'm recording this on the Friday before it comes out, to be productive um, and instead I just watched a documentary on alien encounters, which is basically like any other Friday for me. I will tell you, however, I did get some new samples in the mail, so I'll talk about those. I am attending the Scent Explore event. If you guys don't know it, check it out. It's S-C-E-N-T-X-P-L-O-R-E. And it's a really cool event full of perfumers, perfume executives who all join to discuss their new launches. And there's like little breakout sessions. It's really fun. And the best part of all is that it comes with samples. So I probably got about 25 samples and I'm still going through them, but I will call attention to one that feels relevant to talk about today. You guys DM me all the time about affordable dupes for Perfume de Mali de Lina. I do like that fragrance. I'm not like, oh my God, this is the best thing I ever smelled. Again, it's so nice. It's just like so overhyped and there's so many others I find to be more interesting. But one of the ones that came in this package was from a brand called Algabra and the scent is called Bosphorus Pearl. And whereas Delina retails for $320, this one retails for $175. So is this like affordable? No. Is it a dupe? No. But if you're looking for like a niche alternative that's going to give you the same kind of vibe as Delina and you don't want to spend $320, but you're willing to put some investment, I am smelling them side by side right now. And... They're very comparable. I think Delina is a little bit stronger and Bosphorus Pearl, I don't know. I think I think the Pearl is a really good name for it. It feels sort of opalescent and kind of dewy, a little, a dewier version of Delina. And it's very pleasant, very nice, pretty much a safe blind buy in the same way that Delina is. And you can feel a little bit more unique when you wear it because people will be like, oh my God, you're wearing Delina. And you'll be like, no. I'm wearing Algabra Bosphorus Pearl. Speaking of pearl, what a great segue to today's perfume juice, which is, of course, on the new Opal line from KKW Fragrances. It's giving me Eos Lip Balm mixed with Gwyneth Paltrow's Yoni Sex Jade Egg. So I looked up the notes and reviews of all three, and on a whole, they seem pretty unremarkable, except for Opal Drip. That one intrigued me because, allegedly, it is a perfect dupe for Baccarat Rouge which leads me to address the elephant in the room, which is that we all know the other celebrity fragrance that is a dupe for Baccarat Rouge. And honestly, between Pete Davidson and Opal Drip, Kim, why are you coming for Ariana like this? Also, I just like don't understand how celebrity relationships work because I feel like they're all friends with her. Like remember Kris Jenner was in the Thank You Next video and they were all like posting about it being like, we're obsessed with you, Ariana. Is the world of celebrity dating like being in middle school where you just like know that everyone's going to date each other's exes and it just like is what it is? 
Mind you, this is not me speaking from personal experience. I did not date anybody in middle school. I do feel adequately experienced to talk about, you know, sharing guys because we would go to the teen dance center and we would form these things we called grind circles where the boys would form a circle on the outside. The girls would form a circle on the inside. We'd wear our favorite Victoria's Secret thongs and the boys would stand still and the girls would rotate counterclockwise, you know, as the songs played on so that everyone got a chance to grind on everybody. It's only fair. And we canonically showed our thongs when the thong song was playing and pointed first to the window and then to the wall when Get Low played. And that is the closest I've come to anything like Kim Kardashian and Ariana Grande's relationship. I hope you enjoyed that tangent. Anyway, if any of you guys try Opal Drip, let us know, is it actually a good dupe for Baccarat Rouge? Moving on. Our guest today is the founder of a brand that you guys have heard me talk about so much. And actually, I got in touch with that guest at last year's Scent Explore. And that guest is the founder of Kirin, Mona Mandeberon. Yes, as I learned in today's episode, I have been pronouncing Kirin wrong for as long as I have been talking about it. It is not Kirin, it is Kirin. Oops. Mona is a former model, an entrepreneur, and of course, a perfume founder. In this episode, we discuss how Kirin got its start, how Mona works in tandem with the perfumers because she is not the actual perfumer, how she crafts the scent stories and gives direction behind each fragrance, the first fragrances she ever wore, the smells of her home and her loved ones, and of course, her advice for people who want to create their own line someday. You guys know I'm such a fan of this line, and it was so cool to just be able to chat with the creator and hear what she was thinking when she created each fragrance. Also, I do have a discount code for this company. If you want to experience them, I can get you 10% off with the code Emma V at checkout. It also comes with an additional free sample. Here's Mona. Mona, welcome to the perfume room. Thank you so much. I'm very glad to be here with you and with all of your fans and followers. It's so great to have you on the podcast. Everybody who has listened to this podcast and has followed me on TikTok knows I have been touting Kieran since day one. Um, you are the founder of one of my favorite niche fragrance houses ever. We're Thank going you. to get into that, but I always open up with the following three questions, which are, what are you currently wearing? Do you have what you would consider a signature scent? And do you have any controversial fragrance takes? So I'm currently wearing the fragrance that I created last year uh, together with Jérôme Epinay, an award-winning uh, perfumer called Rose Ink. Love I'm Rose in, Ink. I'm in a Rose Ink vibe uh, today, and we'll talk more about that. Yes. Um, and I do not believe in signature scents, only because I think that as an individual, me personally, I'm very um, changeable in my mm -hmm. moods and my personality. And so I can't imagine just having one outfit that I would wear uh, every day of the year. Uh, sometimes I like to be cash. Sometimes I like to be, you know, uh, feminine. Sometimes I like to, you know, go the opposite way. So I want my fragrances to follow me in whatever mood or uh, personality I'm donning in that particular moment. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't have a signature scent. And I do think that um, controversial notes, um, maybe for men, 
might be the floral notes. In particular, mm -hmm. Rose Ink was a fragrance that I created uh, with a, a particularly masculine take on um, the damask rose uh, because I thought it was so unfair that men sort of felt that they couldn't enjoy a beautiful rose fragrance um, for fear of it being deemed too girly. Right. Uh, or grandma E. So I was, you know, intent together with uh, my partners in Jahome to create something that was quite the opposite, uh, which uh, Rose Inc. is. So I think, you know, as a controversial um, note, uh, Rose, in at least in the West, in other countries, um, Rose is not considered uh, to be girly at all. Um, and men wear it uh, very freely. But in the U.S. it is. Do you find, you know, I don't know how well you can research or document it, but are you able to see with the sales of your fragrances, are they mainly being purchased by a certain age group or gender, or is there any way that you can track that? Yes, of course. We live in a modern era and, you know, um, Big Brother and <laughs> <laughs> is tracking our every move, uh, mm -hmm. everything that we do uh, online. We can definitely track that. I'll say that I don't preoccupy myself too much with that. Mm -hmm. uh, I do have a marketing team and they, you know, take a look at the, you know, sort of uh, nooks and crannies in developing our business strategy for our advertisements, etc. But me personally, I don't think that has any business being in the creative process. Yeah. You know, we create for very different reasons and we're not governed by sort of a boardroom or some kind of a trend analysis report that was put out last quarter. You know, we right. try to be forward thinking, uh, fragrance forward company. And we also try to really be very artistic in our expression. So we don't, as an art, artists, we don't like to be bossed around by numbers. <laughs> I, I fully agree. I also, yeah. I do wonder from the other side of that, though, have there been any trends that you've been, like, you know, maybe they didn't forecast how you marketed it or how you developed it, but you were like, oh, wow, like I kind of predicted that this would be a younger skewing fragrance and the demo is older, or I thought this would be a really feminine skewing fragrance and it's been very, you know, all gender encompassing. Are there any fragrances like that in your line that were surprises to you? Our Nitro Noir, I thought, would be leaning more female, um, mm -hmm. slightly. I mean, we are a gender all, gender fluid, unisex 2.0, you know, inclusive brand. So mm -hmm. we don't create scents to be for him or for her by any right. means, quite the opposite. We're trying to sort of take the extremes of what are stereotypically masculine or feminine notes and put them together in unique and different ways. But I, I did, I did see it going a different way. I did see that. I did see that going differently in my mind, <laughs> like the yeah. TikTok trend. Right. Um, <laughs> I somehow thought Nitro Noir because it was very much my story, a story mm -hmm. that I felt very personally connected to about like being a, a woman going out on the town in New York City not really knowing anybody, you know, wanting to get a seat at the bar, wanting the, you know, them to really smell me coming and going and, mm -hmm. you know, being a very sexy fragrance with a lot of patchouli, pink moss, pink berries, pink praline, um, bergamot. I just somehow thought that women or bold sort of sexy women would really mm -hmm. be turned on by this fragrance. And it turns out it's the guys, <laughs> wow. the guys. And yet so the packaging, the packaging is, um, you know, skewing stereotypically more female because right. of the lips and the, you know, it talks about sort of glossed lips shining in the moonlight, you know, so that's sort of a, 
Yeah, guys can have sort of wet gloss lips. You would normally think that that's kind of a reference to lipstick. Um, Mm -hmm. And you would think like sort of the hot pink and the purples hues on the packaging would be more attractive to females. But actually, that one is much more purchased by men. Interesting. Well, Nitro Noir has a personal place in my heart because I am a big Oris head and I think it's one of the best Oris fragrances I've ever experienced. And the way that I have tried, I try to describe fragrances in my TikTok videos in non-fragrance terms Mm -hmm. and tell me as the creator how you feel about this. But I sort of say it has like sort of like an old, like sort of like rich high ceiling library meets like lipstick meets berries. Like it's, it just kind of feels really enigmatic. And I totally get the, like, who are they person at the bar? Like they sort of walk in and you're just like, what am Whoa. I smelling? Yeah, what? it's just who not is the- that. I don't know who she is, but I want I want a piece of that. Too. Exactly, yeah. I love it. And I I did a video about scents for each sign. And yeah. again, maybe I'm just biased and giving it to myself, but I do feel like Nitro Noir has a very Scorpio element to it yes, because it's definitely. very like like enigmatic um, yeah. and sexy or and- Leo lioness. Yes, yeah. yes. What yeah. is do you- what's your horoscope sign? I'm a Virgo. Oh, and and do you identify strongly with the Virgo characteristics? Like I said, I'm very changeable. I identify with the whole entire. (laughs) (laughs) You're everything. Everything except Aquarius. I wouldn't wouldn't pin myself as an Aquarius. Or maybe Libra. Maybe Libra is not really, you know. So, yeah. yeah. But everything else, yeah. Interesting. I always am curious what people's signs are and I like how that impacts what their tastes are. And with that, I was wondering, I mean, you basically have sort of answered that you have this very versatile fragrance wardrobe. Are there any fragrance families that you do tend to gravitate towards or ones that you find yourself absolutely never really reaching for? So I almost never find myself reaching for something that would be predominantly as a top note, a white floral. But that's just my bias being sort of a child of the 80s and sort of associating that with memories of old ladies and, uh, you know, blue hair. But I think that's so unfair, but it's mm-hmm. it's so unavoidable that, you know, we have these sort of subconscious subliminal associations from our memory that kind of make us, you know, have these, um, you know, feelings, these sort of visceral right. feelings towards one fragrance family or another. So I would say white florals, but I have made friends with white florals, like my fragrance 10 a.m. flirt. I was just thinking Um, about that one. Exactly. And I think that, so, you know, as long as it's not a top note, like a predominant, you know, blow you over the, over the nose note, Mm -hmm. um, I can make friends with it. I tend to personally prefer woodsy notes. Um, Mm You know, I love the ambers and the patchoulis and the sandalwoods, and I definitely uh, love the incense and uh, those kind of warm, uh, woodsy notes. Um, but, you know, it's it's hard to say. I, I mean, I'm very inspired by citrusy uh, scents as well. Grapefruit is one. I haven't done anything with grapefruit. I'd love to do something with grapefruit. Mm-hmm. You know, neroli um, as a, is a floral note that I love, but, the you know, the citrus uh, fruits I love as well. So... You know, as being in this business, there's a lot to love. 
It's true. I find my, my taste evolves all the time. There are certain notes that I originally am like, I will never touch a fragrance with that note. Then I find when I fall in love with, I go down a rabbit hole before I know it. I have like invested in all these perfumes specifically of that note that I said I didn't like. And I just like, or like what I like one week, the next week I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want to wear that anymore. And I'm just uh, like you said, you're, you're always, you know, mutable. I feel the same way of just like, I, I, I'm constantly changing in my, in my tastes and what I'm craving. I wonder too, with something like 10 AM flirt that does have these gorgeous white floral notes, how were you able to, um, separate your personal scent associations to develop 10 a.m. flirt? Yeah, well, I think one of the things is relying on, you know, great um, perfumer partners. Um, Mm -hmm. 10 a.m. flirt was created by Mathieu Nardin. Um, He is a a real artist, um, but uses also the artisanal as well as some modern techniques in his perfume mm-hmm. process. So working together with them, I think they have that you know breadth of expertise as well to kind of get you out of your box mm-hmm. and also to work with your box and understanding right. that, you know, ultimately um, these scent stories are Kirin and YC scent stories. They're not anybody else's. So I have to like them. So I'm, you know, I, I need them to help me get over that uh, hurdle and to create some things that are a little different. So sometimes, you know, there's some fragrances that might not be, you know, the one that I reach for, but Mm -hmm. if I don't reach for it, I'm not manufacturing it personally. Right. Right. You know, I, I, as a small niche perfume house, I have to love everything that I do. So. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because I feel similarly about white florals. There are some exceptions. I would put 10 a.m. flirt as one of them, but I don't find myself reaching for white floral fragrances that often. And I was so surprised when I got the Karen Discovery Kit that I was like, wait, 10 a.m. The the two that I have full, well, now I have um, the Pure New York one, which I 100% want to talk about. But the two that I had purchased full bottles of were Nitro Noir and 10 a.m. Flirt. And Nitro Noir, classic me, not surprised. But 10 a.m. Flirt, I was like, you know what, Emma, you've changed. Because I I reach for it all the time. And it's such a, it feels like a warm, creamy gardenia hug. And it doesn't Mm. feel like a cold or a cloying floral, it feels like a floral with warmth. And I think that's maybe why it's one of the exceptions for me. I think you hit it right on the head, not being cloying. And a lot of white florals can be very much so. Right, right. Well, you also associate your, I mean, your line is very grounded in its New York City roots. And I want to talk to you about that. Are you a lifetime New Yorker? I'm not. I'm not. Like many millions of New Yorkers, probably, I come from another place, um, California, which might be another planet to some people, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) born and raised in California, um, traveled the world and uh, landed in New York, but I've been in New York, gosh, I don't want to say how many years, but definitely, (laughs) you know, long enough to call myself a New Yorker and to really love the city. I love going to California to visit with family and friends, Mm -hmm. but New York is my home. What were the smells of your childhood? A lot of the smells of my childhood had to do with food mm-hmm. as well as just fresh air and green, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody would associate sort of the, the aquatic or pine kind of woodsy scents with California. But I grew up in NoCal, Northern California. So mm-hmm. you get those mossy, dewy, 
mornings when you first wake up and you're feeling sort of the nitrogen and sort of the the fresh green earth releasing its um, scents into the air. Dandelions, you know, the smell of dandelions and concrete. Um, on a hot summer day. Okay, that sounds like a so, cool perfume name, right? Dandelions yeah. and concrete. Like, yeah. <laughs> nobody take it if you are listening. I know. But then food also had a lot to play. You know, we always used to grow, you know, celery and tomatoes and, you know, the aromatic uh, scents as well with, you know, fresh coffee brewing in the mm. kitchen. I think... My childhood isn't only a perfume story, it's also mm-hmm. a foodie one. So right. I love cooking. Yeah, I mean, as you're saying this, like for some maybe I'm just in like a very fragrant state of mind, but everything you're saying, I'm like, I wanna smell that in a Kieran fragrance. And I like I'm like, I, I'm actually I've recently become very interested in the savory gourmand genre of like mm-hmm. the celery and the more sort of like um greenhouse type smells, like tomato leaf mm-hmm. and celery yeah. and Things like that. Is that ever something that we would see in the Kieran future? It means that it means that you're missing summer. You're lamenting know. the onslaught of winter. I know. Like what how will my therapist break bring down this back, episode? Bring me back to the greenhouse. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh so yes, I, I would say um there's a lot in store for the Kieran collection. You know, mm-hmm. we've only just barely touched upon the, the fragrance wheel, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um and some of those scents um that are you know, most inspiring to me, as I've mentioned, uh, will definitely weave their way into some future fragrances. Very cool. And what is the name? How did you come up with the name? And did I say it incorrectly? Because I heard you say Kirin, and I think I said Kirin. Kirin. Okay. So there we go. Correcting myself. I have been saying Uh Kirin. So how did you come up with that name? and, And what is it a reflection of? Well, being a small independent perfumer in a sea of conglomerates is not easy and mm-hmm. one of the things that's difficult about it is the is trademarking mm-hmm. so it's not a glamorous um tale to tell but kirin was a very trademarkable and i did an intense amount of research on uh, trademarkable name that could be both male and female mm is a strong sounding name in my view yeah you know, kirin sounds very strong it's very it's succinct right. um, in that it's a short name, so it's individual. It's it's a grounded, strong uh, name that could be male or female, which, you know, our brand is very much all about celebrating individuality and also being very inclusive mm-hmm. um, of all genders. And also it was something that could translate well into different languages. So, you know, there were a lot, there were, there was an emotional quotient and then also very business pragmatic, you know, what can you get done in this, this world of beauty that basically every name on the planet (laughs) that you can think of has been trademarked, even whether or not it's in production, Right. um, people just like, you know, trademark this, trademark that, trademark this, trademark right, that. I mean, right, like, right. And you're like, oh, you know, I don't want to find myself in a situation where I'm stepping on someone's toes. So mm-hmm. I had to try and think outside the box. And I didn't want it to be a, a Mona story. You know, I'm not a narcissist. So I didn't want to, you know, name the fragrance line after me. I want it to Though be you about, do have a great name for a fragrance line on, on an aside, but you know. Yeah. But I also, I, I wanted it to be about, you know, the individual um, and their story, their sense right. story. So it was important to sort of take myself out of the equation. Wow. 
That's amazing. That's also, as I'm sitting here listening to this, my my mom has the unfortunate name right now in this day and age of being Karen. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you need to just rebrand as Kareen. <laughs> and then there all of a sudden go. it's like a yeah. strong thing. I'm not Karen, I'm Kareen. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I love the name, though I have been uh, saying it incorrectly. Uh, but great for inquiring minds listening who are fellow uh, Kirin lovers. Now, now we have the correct pronunciation. Um, but so, yeah, going back to New York City, where are the different neighborhoods you've spent the most time? And did your fragrances come before the neighborhood? Or did you think of a neighborhood you wanted to pinpoint a fragrance for and then create the fragrance? You know, the concept behind Kirin really is about um, storytelling mm-hmm. and the lifestyle of New York. So the fragrance is evocative of a lifestyle that has a particular mood, a vibe mm-hmm. in that moment. And mm-hmm. it will help sort of um, elevate, you know, that vibe in you. Mm-hmm. But also as a storyteller, you know, you can't have a character without a location or, you know, a time of day, time, you know, place. So the neighborhoods really came second. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that um, in a city like New York um, that there's a neighborhood that has, you know, I don't know, however many tens of thousands of inhabitants from every you know country on the planet um, that you can say that this neighborhood smells like that. Right. You know, it's impossible. You know, mm-hmm. walking down the street, you can't even walk 10 feet without, you know, coming across incredible diversity. And that's what makes New York beautiful. So mm-hmm. to try and peg, you know, men, you know, Madison Avenue is smelling like this or, you know, uh, Greenwich Village is smelling like that is is ludicrous. And mm-hmm. so I don't see New York as having a particular scent. I don't look to recreate a, a neighborhood vibe, but I do use the neighborhoods as a backdrop to help share and tell the story. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we make reference to the neighborhoods because mm-hmm. it's really about sharing the lifestyle, the moment, putting people in that frame of mind. And so that's how the neighborhoods factor in. Can we go through the different fragrances you've developed and, and yes. just talk about each neighborhood and, and a little yeah. bit about the fragrances? So Nitro Noir, mm-hmm. I'll just start where we already have started. With my Nitro Noir, yes, yes, exactly. Nitro Noir is um, a story about basically a very bold individual, um, you know, going out and not necessarily needing, you know, anyone just going out and having a good time. It takes place in the East Village um, off of Lafayette Street. Um, and there used to be a club down there that I used to frequent. What's it called? It was a lot What's of fun. No, oh, no, it's not around anymore. I won't date myself. <laughs> <laughs> Studio 54. No, uh, no exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, so so it's in, it's sort of nighttime. You know, it's in, happening in the East Village. It's a bar scene. We also have sort of the morning after, which mm-hmm. is our 10 a.m. flirt. So you've been out all night until, you know, 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, and then you wake up at uh, 10 a.m. and, you know, take your dog for a walk or maybe take a stroll, a power walk. Um, mm-hmm. I lived in uh, the meatpacking district. Mm-hmm. 
before it was the meatpacking district and right. it was re- really the meatpacking district. When it was really for meatpacking. <laughs> I know, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I used to love, you know, the High Line is, is a beautiful um, urban escape. It's um, an elevated um, park, uh, an artscape above the city. So you get a lot of, you know, fresh breezes off of the Hudson River. You know, there's lots of green grasses and even, you know, some flowers and, and uh, plantings. Um, so it's a, it's a real mix between sort of nature, this kind of feeling of fresh freedom and sort of the warm summer sun on a, you know, late morning after you've had a really lovely night out and mm-hmm. you happen across somebody who passes your way and he looks at you and you look at him and you exchange a sort of a sweet moment. Right. Um, but then you've got things to do. So you just power on and you keep going on. So that's why it's called 10 a.m. Flirt. I love it. You know, 10 a.m., you know, relationship or marriage or whatever. 10 a.m. You know, marriage. It's, it's like, you know, I'm going to, you just have a glance and then, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe you'll meet that person later at a mm-hmm. bar. Who knows? But for now, it's just uh, a moment in passing. Mm-hmm. Um, Sunday brunch is um, our citrusy tea note with the lovely underpinning of jasmine. Mm-hmm. Um, that takes place in the West Village. And I picked the West Village as a great scenario because they, it's a lovely place to go. There's tons of outdoor cafes, um, you know, even before COVID, you know, outdoor cafes on the streets, sort of white linens, sunny afternoons getting together with sort of your city family, the people that you kind of adopted as your away family, you know, and, you know, getting together with them is a very cheerful, you know, time for you. You're really looking forward to it. Hence the, you know, bright citrusy open with a zest of lemon. Mm -hmm. But then as the, uh, the time with them goes on, it's very warm and bracing. Hence the, you know, the tea note, it's just essentially spends its long, longest life as a warm tea based fragrance. Mm-hmm. And then of course the sweet goodbye with a little Jasmine. Oh, I um, love that. So, you know, each fragrance is layered very artfully and masterfully by the perfumer that created it to evolve. And so there's sort of a top note, mid and dry, mm-hmm. and it changes personality throughout, you know, it's wearing. So that's the Sunday brunch. And then Santal Sky is also a fragrance from our launch collection. It is a story that takes place in Central Park. Central Park being sort of the center of it all is a great place for New Yorkers who live a fast paced life to kind of commune with nature, with themselves, you could see people jogging, doing yoga, ro- rollerblading, roller skating, um, you know, just taking walking their dogs, meeting up with each other, having picnics. So it is, you know, a place for people from all walks of life, you know, east side, west side, you know, north side, south side, all come together in a central park. Mm-hmm. So sandalwood, even though there's no sandalwood trees in Central Park, as we all know, is a very meditative, contemplative uh, fragrance, you know, for, you know, thousands of years, it's been used in rituals and practices to kind of have sort of those transcendental, introspective, peaceful uh, moments. Uh, so I thought it sandalwood based scent would be a really good one. It's woodsy enough, but it also is, you know, smooth and milky and it has orchid and it's just a really lovely, more, you know, close to the skin 
it doesn't have a lot of projection. It's not a loud fragrance. It's really more of an intimate, soulful scent. Um, so that's the Scental Sky. More recently, we created Rose Ink yes. to be sort of the bad boy of the bunch, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you will. It's a tale of forbidden sort of love. You know, you have this intense, passionate connection with someone, so much so that you go to a tattoo salon oh, I love in it. lower Manhattan to kind of emblazon their name, you know, mm-hmm. on your body uh, as they have your heart. But unfortunately, you know, the relationship didn't work out, but you still have the memory of them and the tattoo um, mm-hmm. to remind you of that sort of uh, love that you still have for them. That's kind of like the iceberg, you know, mm-hmm. the, the deep, uh, profound love. So it's a very uh, soulful, sensual, sort of eyes wide shut, sexy scent with amber as well as the damask rose and kind of a musky white leather scent as well with some beautiful woodsy notes in its base. And then more recently, we created and launched this summer Pier New York. I love um, Pier New York. It's so special. Pier New York is, you know, after being sort of sequestered at home and uh so far away from the people that we love and feeling really sort of closed up. It's a scent made to inspire togetherness as mm-hmm. well as freedom. It's a uh, salty aquatic scent. It takes place on the piers of New York City, and there are many piers in New York City, but specifically I was thinking of some of the West Side piers. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's like that fragrance that or that feeling that you're standing at the edge of the pier you're feeling totally liberated and yet somehow caressed by these warm breezes that have traveled along the Jersey shore. We get the bringing that, you know, wonderful woodsy pine mm-hmm. uh, sense along with that sort of feeling of, you know, being on the sea, even mm-hmm. though you're, you know, really on the river, but it's got sort of the seaweed and the freshness um, as well. So it's a great fragrance for feeling cozy, but liberated and inspired at the same time. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I've always lived on the east side. So for me, my reference point is always going to be the East River Esplanade over the yeah. West Side Highway. But I have to tell you, I mean, and when I say I go running on the East River Esplanade, you know, we're talking like two miles tops. It's never like a big run for me. Yeah. But... It's such a photorealistic smell for me and it conjures up such a specific feeling It because I think the sage in there, there's something about there that just, it just captures like exactly what it smells like just as the sun starts to, you know, break at dusk. But just like running on the river and sort of smelling like what you said, like you smell sea, but you're on a river, but you know you smell like seaweed. And then there's even, you can even smell something industrial in it which is yeah. like, you have to be realistic. Like you're in New York, there are cars, mm-hmm. there, there's a, I don't know. It just captures such a moment for me. And I, I really enjoy it. That's another creation by Jérôme Epinay. Mm-hmm. Um, he's wonderful. He's very talented at what he does. It's an honor to have him working with us in yeah. creating these fragrances. Is there any neighborhood or type of experience we will never see from Kirin? Good question. I, 
I'm a very optimistic uh, person, so I don't tend to think about things that I won't do. I'm, I'm yeah. too busy thinking about things I will do. <laughs> right, like getting mugged on the subway. Yeah. Or, Yay, exactly. Yeah. The smell of urine. The yes. smell of <laughs> urine in the I'm morning. Gonna... <laughs> you stepped in dog shit. Uh, I know. <laughs> never, um, never. <laughs> you know, I don't think that there's a neighborhood, you know, uh, as we've mentioned, mm-hmm. I don't create fragrances based on neighborhoods, mm-hmm. but I mean, there's certainly neighborhoods I haven't been to. You know, I think the great thing about New York is that there are so many stories to be told. Right. So there's so much for me to think about that I can do. Right. Yet reach the bottom of the barrel to figure out what it is that I can't. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I will say is that as a niche fragrance house that puts a lot of love and time and, and attention into detail, we don't pump out new fragrances every quarter mm-hmm. like some companies do, and we're not into flankers, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, my flanker is going to be a candle. You know, it's I, I'm not interested in doing Me Too's. Right. Right. And and I think our creative process takes time for mm-hmm. us to develop. So we put a lot of attention in, into the things that we do. So whatever our collection is, I you know, I don't expect that we'll be able to get to every neighborhood in New York City. Yes. There's too many. There's too many, yeah. Yeah. Of all of your Kirin creations, do you have a favorite or one that you reach for the most? That's kind of like a mom telling her, you know, daughter, I like you the best, you know, your brother. Mm -hmm. I can't really say that. I have a small collection. We only have six fragrances. There's another two on the way, but uh, only six. So I definitely wear them all. Mm -hmm. And there's not one in particular that I love the most. What was the first fragrance you ever purchased? I think the first fragrance I was ever given was probably some drugstore you know, fragrance when I was like eight years old. Mm-hmm. Oh, loves oh so baby soft. I think is oh, what yeah, it was called. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, With like the pink cap. The pink cap, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but then, as a teenager, I gravitated to what all my friends were wearing. Sort of that, you know, culture obsession. Of mm-hmm. course, mm-hmm. being a child of the eighties, you know, everybody wore obsession. Right. I can't stand the smell of it now, but yeah, so, <laughs> too many memories, yeah. right? Yes. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, you know, it's too, it's, it is a very distinctive scent. Anything that you eat too much or you smell too much, you know, at some point you just say, okay, enough. Right, right, <laughs> so, exactly. So I think those were probably my two earliest uh, fragrances wow. personally. And how did you go from, you know, liking fragrance, admiring it to making it your full-time career? And what were you doing prior to this? My career has been very diverse. I started off modeling when I was younger. After I got tired of that, 10 years or so of modeling, which was a lot of fun. But at some point, I I just didn't want to travel anymore. I was living out of a suitcase. Settled in New York City. I got involved in in marketing Mm -hmm. and uh, publishing. And I was the executive vice president over at Niche Media for Hamptons Magazine, Gotham Magazine, Mm -hmm. Los Angeles Confidential. So I've always been a voracious reader and love reading and um, just being in the magazine world um, seemed like a lot of fun and a, a way to get close to all the people who are doing all the things that I enjoyed, writing, et cetera. Right. And then after that, I got into technology and uh, working with some big technology companies, Oracle, among others, and uh, realizing that, you know, technology is really where everything, you know, everything is being enhanced and um, 
brought forward and reinvented and how it was, you know, transforming the media and the print media space. And it was also transforming sort of color cosmetic space at the time Mm -hmm. with people, you know, shopping more online for their mascaras and their lipsticks and things like that. But it hadn't yet hit fragrance. Mm -hmm. You know, people were still getting in their automobiles and driving the however many miles to the local mall or perfumery to you know buy their perfumes in store and not online mm-hmm. so that seemed like a big sort of lag if you will in industry and social um, living trends that was ripe for exploitation mm-hmm. and being a predominantly directed consumer online brand certainly you know Frederick Mall his collection was a great inspiration you know, wonderful sense. I became totally obsessed with them. And I also thought his way of creating unique experiences was inspirational and really innovative. And my husband, he'd been in the beauty and perfume industry for a really long time. So it just seemed like all these different influencing factors kind of coming together that starting my own company, um, it made sense to to do it myself since there wasn't any other company um, on the market at the time um, that was doing all of those things in one. Wow. So I also am curious, with you being direct-to-consumer, is that something you think will change in the future? Does does Kirin have any stockists? And is that something you would look into or you like being really DTC? Well, I always say predominantly Mm direct-to-consumer because that's how we position ourselves mostly is reaching out and building community Mm -hmm. and having personal connections uh, with consumers and and getting consumers to really share their My Kareen story with us, Mm -hmm. making the sense their own. But we do have partners. You know, we're with ASOS, the perfume shop. Harvey Nichols has us Mm -hmm. in store, uh, not just online. You know, we have retail partners who are synergistic with our ethos who carry our collection as well, not just perfumeries. We don't really have very many perfumery partners, Mm -hmm. but we do, as a lifestyle storytelling brand, have stores that are sort of design or uh, fashion, Mm -hmm. gifting stores that are carrying our collection as well. And that's, you know, a list of of stores that's always growing and... um, Yeah. So we do have, you know, small specialty independent retail stores, but we purposefully have declined and stayed away from Sephora, you know, Macy's, Mm -hmm. uh, Saks. I don't believe that's really where our consumer is Mm -hmm. and that wouldn't be where we would see ourselves, whether now or even in the future. Right. Yes. Keeping it sort of niche is part of the appeal and how the brand is positioned, right? Exactly. Yeah. So what is the process as a perfume line founder and creator? How do you work in tandem with the perfumers of your fragrances? Do you have notes in mind in advance? Like what is that back and forth? So here at Kirin, I have partners, a team that I work with, and we sort of think about what our mission is and what we want to accomplish with um, the fragrance and then put together a storyboard. And we have a, a, a creative uh, partner who's a graphic designer. His name's Chris, and he helps with the visuals mm-hmm. and putting the storyboard together. I help also with some of the other ancillaries, trying to take kind of the thoughts and the visions that I have in my head and put them on paper. And then we meet with the perfumer and present the project. 
you know, I do the best that I can, both through, you know, the visual aids that Chris helps to create and those that I find, as well as, you know, just talking him through kind of what it feels like, what this is what the fragrance is going to smell like, it's going to feel like. I don't tell them what it, what notes it has to have. Right. We don't go that path. We don't go down the path of telling the perfumer, these are the notes you have to use. Some focus group or some trend study said Amber's, Amber's it for this season, so therefore you must do Amber because right. that's what's trending. We don't care about that. Right. What we care about is that the perfumer takes our vision and the story and then translates that story olfactively so that when someone spritzes Sunday brunch, they feel like they're standing on a street in New York or sitting at a bar or that they're uh, walking along the High Line. We want those fragrances to unfold as well, to be layered in such a way that they're not just one-note wonders, right. you know, sort of with a single profile, but to have a storytelling component. So it is difficult, very difficult for the perfumer to take all of that, and then and he, then we go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, until we fine-tune it and say, you know, that's a lovely scent, really love that scent, really nice, but I just don't think it's telling the story. Right. Or it is telling part of the story, but it's kind of missing the story, or it's too heavy on that. You know, so we go back and forth, back and forth. Almost always, you know, the perfumers that create beautiful things, you know, whether it's Jérôme Pinet, who's an award-winning perfumer, or Mathieu Nardin, who's mm -hmm. also, you know, phenomenal. He did Commodity. He's mm -hmm. worked with many other, you know, um, well-established, well-known brands. Um, I mean, uh, Jérôme, he's done, you know, most of the collection for L'Atelier, mm -hmm. um, Bayredo. I mean, these are, you know, some very um, more well-known brand names right. than Kirin is. Just about everything they do is fabulous. But is it Kirin? You know, right. is it telling the Kirin story? So that's where, you know, being a scent editor, mm -hmm. I come in and my team sort of help guide them and show them the way of what the Kirin fragrance experience um, should be. So it's a collaboration. Have you had to undergo any sort of like scent or olfactive training to just familiarize yourself with certain notes that you aren't familiar, like in order to give that feedback, is your feedback more, you know, it's not evocative of this or could it ever be as specific as like, I want the Jasmine note to be more prominent because of this? Like how, how do you translate that? So I, I'm a big believer in higher education. Becoming a perfumer is a very specific task and um, does require very specific. You don't go to even an Ivy League university and get a um, degree in, in perfumery. Right. You have to really work with one of the established perfume houses. And I've not gone through that training specifically, mm -hmm. but I also believe in Power of the People and University YouTube. So okay. I've learned yeah. a lot. And I'm a, I, again, I'm a voracious reader. I'm constantly learning. I love learning. Uh, I, I will learn until the day I die mm -hmm. because learning is just what makes life fun in my view, right. which is probably one of the reasons why I've had so many different careers. But, uh, you know, that's a, a non sequitur. Anyways, <laughs> um, the, uh, the thing about, as I mentioned, the thing about being too directive with the artist mm -hmm. and the perfumer's I honor them and I respect them as artists. Right. I don't treat them like 
slaves to the process, right, slaves right. to the man. You know, some of these big conglomerate, you know, even brands that maybe started off as niche but have grown and then become consumed by or bought out by, mm -hmm. you know, larger companies and now have shareholders that they have to report to. And so they've got to follow what's trending and right. make sure that it has mass appeal. And if it doesn't have mass appeal, it won't hit the million dollar mark. And if it doesn't sell a million dollars, it's, you know, it's out. Right. I don't, I don't care if it sells a million dollars. Right. I care about creating art. Right. Something that's olfactively artistic. You can't tell the painter, use red, use more red, use more jasmine, right. use more of this. You, right. you have to tell them, this is my vision. I need your help. We need to work together. Mm -hmm. And you're the artist. You, you're you the painter. Mm -hmm. You paint. Right. I, I, I story tell. Right. <laughs> you paint. So the perfumer does what he feels is the most appropriate uh, way, whether it's through, you know, really getting creative with some of the notes that he uses or more classic in their interpretation. And we allow him the license as well as the budget to be able to do that. That's very cool. Yeah, very much like stay, like, you know what your strengths are, you know what the perfumer's strengths are, and it's exactly. not worth, yeah, I fully get it. You were talking about flankers and how we will not be seeing flankers but potentially candles is that something that people can look forward to and what are your thoughts on you know scenting spaces in addition or as opposed to people so I love scenting people um, <laughs> but I also love scenting spaces because when you walk into a space you know it's nice to you know you're inspired by the smell of that mm -hmm. space you know be it good or bad mm -hmm. so I think candles are a natural extension mm -hmm. of our collection and I'm in the process of testing some you know right now um, which I have you know by the side of me um, now you know creating the formulas for candles um, is a very different process than perfumes but we will be making a candle collection off of our core collection cool. our launch collection and so we'll we'll be announcing that soon. And then, of course, you know, adding more uh, fragrant stories to the collection as well. But right. I do think that scenting your space, whether you scent your space with uh, room scents, uh, which is just another way of saying like a really low quality eau de toilette, <laughs> uh, you know, you could do, you know, with a, a perfume as well, an eau de parfum as well, you know, if you if you really feel like it. But I think having a, a room with an olfactive profile, you know, whether that's your bedroom or your living room is a nice, nice way to live. Mm -hmm. I mean, every, every room, my house smells glorious. That's what I was going to ask. What does your house smell like? Oh, it smells, it's, you know, it depends on the day uh, or the time of day, but I'm a really devoted uh, entrepreneur, but I'm an even more devoted mother. Mm-hmm. Of two, I have a ten-year-old and a twelve-year-old, and boy, I know the power of fragrance because my son is, and, and my daughter are both really in tune that way. And if I don't deliver the goods, if they come home from school and there aren't some cookies in the oven, or I don't have a, you know, my rose ink candle, you know, uh, in the entryway by the door, I I hear it. Oh wow! <laughs> so yeah, they, they'll give me what for. So. I think we're all, you know, um, they become, you know, they become accustomed to it, and they they have grown to 
expect that and that's part of the joy and the pleasure you know not only coming home and seeing mama but also coming home to a nice smelling home mm-hmm. that'll be part of their olfactive memories that's what as I adults. Just, yeah you're you're building yeah. their scent memories so yes yes and i've been building their scent memories since they were babies mm-hmm. i remember when you know, my son was, you know, just a few months in my arms and I was tickling his nose with cinnamon sticks and oh, sage leaves yeah. and stuff. So, and when they got old enough to eat solid foods and I was introducing them to, you know, foods from around the world, not just your classic American mm-hmm. cuisine, right. you know, baby cuisine. So they've got a lot of uh, olfactive memories Man, I what I would do to be one of your children. That sounds absolutely <laughs> great. My last question for you is, so many people are going to listen to this episode. We have so many Kyrian fans um, who follow this podcast. What advice would you give to someone who wanted to follow in your footsteps or was interested in you know, creating their own line or becoming a perfumer or just getting into the industry at all? Well, first I would, not a word of caution, but just a word of awareness that this industry, like many industries, is dominated by men. Mm-hmm. Um, so just know that you're going to need your support group, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's, I'm not saying it has to be only female, mm-hmm. you know, but you just need a support group, mm-hmm. you know, people who will be there to support your vision. If you're coming into the fragrance industry, it is a pretty conventional approach to perfumery for the most part mm-hmm. you'll probably want to do something very different mm-hmm. um, you know more expressive of your own individual style and for that you'll need your support group and your fan club so focus on people and building teams is really important and also just knowing that you can't change the nature of the beast right it is what it is and the fragrance industry it'll take a generation or more before it becomes a more balanced industry or maybe more forward uh in some ways but it doesn't that doesn't mean it's a bad thing right it's just you know that gives you opportunity think of all the opportunity that you have to be different you know when everyone else is trying to be same you know or trying to sort of um rehash you know the past you know you have an opportunity to be innovative to express yourself to express your individuality don't lose sight of who you are Mm -hmm. and don't let what the industry says is normal Mm -hmm. this is the way it's done Mm -hmm. to define how you create your own vision um many times i would say oh well you know we just don't do it that way Mm -hmm. so well why don't you do it that way I don't know. We don't just don't do it. Well, maybe I don't do it that way because it's never done that way. It doesn't mean it's not the right way to do it. Right. And I'm going to do it this way. Right. And by the way, oh, you know, a little bit later, that was the right way to do it for me. Yeah. So different ways can work, but they won't work unless you're committed to sticking to it. So you have to figure out who you are, you know, find your friends and then stick to your vision and just close your ears to the noise and proceed. Great advice. Okay, Mona, we have one final segment of the show. This does feel a little antithetical to everything we just discussed. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But what this segment is, is what's that smell? It's a rapid fire scent association. And I feel like this is exactly what you said is not the case. But I was going to name different New York City um, neighborhoods or events. And you rapid fire tell me at least your first scent association that comes to mind, even if it's not the ultimate smell of it. Sound good? 
Okay, I'm nervous. <laughs> okay. And also, there's no wrong answer, and there's no really? anything you say is correct. So, are you ready to play What's That Smell NYC edition? Mmm, what's that smell? Yes. Okay, Mona, what is the smell of the Upper West Side? Bouquets, definitely bouquets of flowers, maybe carnations a little bit too, a little greenery. What is the smell of Grand Central? Concrete, a little boozy. A little boozy, okay. Yeah, everybody's like, you know, either, you know, waddling home from the bar and the after, after work right, cocktail, right. catch the train to go to the Burbs or, yeah, yeah, a little boozy. Hey, I remember when there used to be bar cars on the Metro North trains. Those yeah. days are gone, but uh, not that I was ever old enough to enjoy, but I feel like I just would see them and my mom would be like, don't go in that car. Um, anyway, okay. What is the smell of the New York City subway system? Oh, no comment. <laughs> Yeah, no comment. Um, hmm. You know, I don't know that you could really take a, a note, but something that might caramel, sort of a caramel and salt. That's very optimistic. <laughs> and I, I know if, if it's not the unpleasantness of it, if I'm going to take the uh, upside of it, is like I'm standing under a, one of those vents from the street mm-hmm. that's kind of like sucking down the smell of like a one of those caramel like nuts for uh, nuts or something vendor, yeah. nuts for yeah. nuts vendors you know and so it's i'm I, obviously you know me being me i wouldn't be standing in the dirtier smellier parts of the subway mm-hmm. i'd try and find a like a nice little spot where i could you know breathe some fresh air and mm-hmm. and uh, get some nice you know wafting uh, sense of foods or kebabs or something right right, right. there you go so the smell of yeah, food i think that's we can we yeah, can stick the smell with- of food we can stick with that the smell of food I you know yeah it's unfortunate yeah but that's the New York subway system isn't as um, well kept as it should be um what is the smell of Union Square Union Square well there you go that's a really easy one especially um with the open markets that they have the um farmers markets you know celery and sort of the smell of honey and celery and fine cheeses I mean I love Union Square for that aspect Mm -hmm. being able to go shopping there and get you know, fresh produce is great. And the final, what's that smell is, what is the smell of Mona Mandibiran? Oh, the smell of Mona Mandibiran. Again, um, something that's soft, subtle, but very spicy and maybe a little uh, amber, exotic, woodsy. Okay. Definitely got some patchouli and some sandalwood notes mixed in there. Love to smell it. We love to smell it. Yeah. Okay. Well, Mona, it's been an absolute blast and treat having you on Perfume Room. For people listening who would now like to experience Karine, how can they do so? Well, uh, we made it really easy. We created a discovery set, which is you know very affordable. And in addition to being relatively inexpensive at $20, it also comes with a $20 coupon. There you go. So that you get to discover the scents and try them and uh, live with them a little bit at home and then you know get your money back on a full bottle. There you go. Um, so our discovery sets are sold on Amazon, the perfume shop, ASOS, uh, our own website, www.kirin.com dash nyc mm-hmm. um and i think you can even find them on itsy and ebay and walmart and other places yeah great it's online just google kirin nyc and i'm pretty sure i have an affiliate code too so i will double yes. check but i believe if you enter mov at checkout 
that might even help sweeten the pot for you. So here you go, Mona. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the perfume room. Yes, thank you. I really had a lovely time talking. Likewise, and thank you. Perfume room is edited by Wyatt Peak. Music is by Max Vernon, and illustrations are by Israel Rodriguez. 